Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth, where we're exploring all sorts of business topics. Experts from around the world join me, your host, Diane Helbig, for a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Take what you need, when you need it. Featured on Inc.com, Forbes, and MSNBC's Your Business, this podcast is recognized as one of the best podcasts for small business, sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, Accelerate Your Business Growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. My guest today is Amy Franco. Amy is the leading expert in modern sales strategies. She works with growth-oriented organizations to significantly improve their B2B sales strategy and sales team performance. She's a LinkedIn top sales voice and author of the best-selling, The Modern Seller. Thanks so much for joining me today, Amy. Diane, it's great to be here. I'm so looking forward to our conversation. I am too. Um, and, and we're going to be talking about sales enablement and, and uh, that sort of thing. And so I, I'd like us to start with like a, um, a foundation. And so I'm going to ask you to, if you would define sales enablement and explain why you think organizations should care about it. Oh, yes, absolutely. I, I already love this conversation. So <laughs> I, I, you know, first off, I will say, I feel like sales enablement is one of those centers of excellence that we, it, it's almost like it's, a, it's trending now, but it's something that is smart organizations have always had sales enablement, but they may not have just used the phrase sales enablement. Um, but, but my definition of sales enablement, the sales enablement is the set of strategies, processes, and tools that business leaders and sales leaders can use to accelerate their growth. What that looks like is a little bit different from organization to organization, but, but very simply put, that's my working definition. And I truly believe that business leaders and sales leaders are a, and learning leaders are an extremely important part of that conversation. They have to be in lockstep. Yeah, boy, no kidding. So, um, and, and it feels to me like when you say, you know, they have to be in lockstep, that there really has to be commitment and support from the very top of the organization, you know, and the bottom and everything in between, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really like to think of it as a center of excellence type of approach, yeah. because when, when you can approach it with that type of mindset, it can position, you can position sales enablement to have the same priority as you would a project management organization or other types of strategy that you see as vital to your business. So treating right. it like a center of excellence can, can help you put that discipline in place. You are right. Cause it, it changes how you view it and, and the mindset, yeah. but I love that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about, um, the, um, strategy. So people, which makes me think that hiring is a really huge part of that, right? Like getting the right people in the door. What does it look like? How, because I, 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 from my perspective, I see a lot of organizations struggle with this, you know, like someone mm -hmm. will say, yeah, sure. I can sell. Okay, great. You're hired. And then they 
can't or they don't or something isn't really um, jiving there. Yeah, absolutely. So, so when I look at the, think about it again, just kind of using that center of excellence type of thought process, you have the people part of it, the process and the tools part of it. So if we kind of deconstruct that people part of it for a moment, it is the, it's your, your overall sales talent uh, strategy from how you hire, how you onboard, and then again, ultimately how you, how you skill them up throughout the life cycle of their time with you. And um, I think you've really hit the nail on the head with the hiring challenge. I had heard a statistic. I, I think I re most recently heard it yesterday on NPR, where they were talking about for every, um, there, there are twice the number of positions available in our country than we have people to fill them. Now, now that isn't necessarily a, a sales statistic there, but if we just think about that in terms of our economy in general, we have double the amount of jobs available that we have people for. And if we, if sales leaders and CEOs think about that in the context of their sales organization, if you don't have the right processes in place to assess and hire and onboard your teams, I know it probably sounds, it probably sounds pretty obvious on the surface, but the costs to the organization are so high. It is, I was literally just having this conversation today with another client. It can be a, a six-figure hard dollar cost to your bottom line for a bad hire. It takes the salesperson up to a year to be fully onboarded and productive, even someone who is a rock star. They might be coming into a new industry. It takes a year. And if they don't work out, not only have you lost the time and the hard dollars, you've also lost a minimum of six figures, $100,000 in opportunity cost. So there's a lot of different cost levers there for cost and time levers for a bad sales hire. That's, um, I knew it was expensive. I had no idea. Wow. And I didn't realize it takes a year for a salesperson to really, you know, be in that space where they're ready to. Yeah. That, I have to admit that one surprised me too. Um, it's, it's 11 months to true wow. productivity. Now you might be able to, to shave some time off of that. Ideally, if you have a really uh, robust onboarding program, you can shave some time off of that. But if you've ever been in the situation, CEO or sales leader who's watching or, or listening to this, or even a sales professional, when someone says, oh, you've been here six months or so-and-so has been here six months and we're not seeing any productivity, it's, it's either they're the wrong fit for the role, they haven't been onboarded appropriately, or they, don't, they, they do not have what they need. They haven't had enough time to become productive. Wow. wow. Okay. So th this is so enlightening to me. So um, that also seems to me like the sales, the leadership needs to be really strong. So what are the components of a sales leadership development program? Yeah. So if we take a look at that, that if we take that, um, I'll take a look at it from two lenses. So, so okay. I'll first kind of take the overall lens of a sales enablement center of excellence. The leader is a really important part of the equation. So you have the, the you have your, your leader of the sales organization, perhaps, 
And then you have your other leaders that report into that, that top leader. And depending on the size of your organization, you might run a flat organization if you're smaller. If you are, of course, a larger organization, you might be matrixed and you have more sales leaders. Uh, so, so your complexities may look a little bit different from company to company. But broad, broadly speaking, a sales leadership development program, set of program strategies is a part of really strong sales enablement strategy because the sales leaders in the end are the ones that are truly responsible for coaching and guiding and holding sales professionals accountable. So if we bring that back to the hiring piece of it, we also have to be able to skill our sales leaders in, we have to be able to design the right hiring strategy and we also have to be able to skill them in interviewing skills and the ability to assess candidates so that they could make smart hires based on what, what skills they truly need. Okay, so I'm about to say something that um, sounds to me to be obvious, but unfortunately doesn't seem to be terribly obvious. So what I'm hearing is it's more than someone being really good at selling. Correct. It, that's that's 100% correct. So you you have someone who is really excellent at selling. So well, I'll just I'll use an example, probably a pretty common example in most organizations. You can have someone who is a real sales rock star. They are extremely skilled. Let's say they're extremely skilled. They they have all they have they they check all the boxes for you, and they have reached a point of productivity. So you, you know that they are someone that you want to keep in the organization for the long term. Where sales enablement plays a huge role in that is, are we continuing to develop new skills with that individual? And if we look at the process and tool part of a sales enablement center of excellence, have we equipped them with the right processes and also the right tools to help them be effective at their job? Sales leaders play a role in that too, whether it's from strategy or coaching, or just simply knocking down the internal barriers that can help that sales professional to be successful. A sales professional can be a rock star, but if there are too many internal barriers to help them be successful, they're going to be frustrated. And if they're an elite seller, they are probably continually being headhunted by your competitors, or they may start to look elsewhere if they aren't able to excel and um, have what they need to be successful because they're there to be successful and to make great commission and to grow your company. Right, right, boy, such a good point. Okay, so, so let's move to the structure yeah. as one of them. So um, I'm, I'm really curious about territorial design. Can you talk some about that? Yeah, sure. So, um, so the, a lot of times what organizations don't make enough investment in are the structures and the processes of their organization. So they may do some focus in on the skills, they may focus in on hiring, but you have to have the right structures and processes in place to help your sales professionals to be successful. Um, so when we look at territory design, for example, territory design, successful territory design has a couple different components to it. You know, there's obviously the, the geographic design or maybe the design by industry of that territory. 
but you have to be able to design the territory in a way that's going to best serve your organization. So for example, if you excel in sales in one geographic region of the country, you have some decisions to make on whether you expand by adding more personnel into that territory with which you are already excelling, or do you expand beyond that? And that ties back to the CEO's overall strategy or the sales strategy, which sales enablement professionals have to know so that they can guide and implement that strategy through sales enablement. Um, the other element of territory design is having the right people in the right roles. And that, that's often something that I see lacking. They either don't have enough people or they don't have the right people in the right seats. So territory design is an absolutely worthwhile exercise to go through so that you know where you are today and where you want to go into the future. Um, and so, so let me stop there and see, see where else you kind of want to dig in on the, the territory design question. So, and thank you for that. I, that, that was really valuable for me. Um, what would you say to people who say, we don't want to have any sort of territories. We just want our salespeople to go out and, you know, knock on doors and do whatever, not be constrained, so to speak. Uh, yes, the Wild West strategy, yeah. I, I like to call that. Um, you know, the Wild West strategy can work in smaller, flat organizations and especially in startups where you don't have defined presence in specific geographic territories. So, so the Wild West approach can absolutely have its benefits but as an organization matures, as you bring more people into the organization, you have more complexity in terms of your geographies and the products and services that you sell. The Wild West strategy, it can really inhibit you because what you ultimately start to run into is you start to run into sales professionals stepping over top of one another. You have sales professionals that are sales teams. It can create tension between who gets paid for what, because you don't have any, you don't have any structures set in place behind the scenes. So, and ultimately what that can do, it can hinder your growth, but it can also hinder your culture. It can start to eat away at your sales culture and you will find those tensions can really cause a lot more problems that your clients and customers will pick up on too. So, so if you are a startup, you don't have a large sales team, you can use that Wild West strategy to your advantage, but know that as you mature and grow, you want to put structure in place because that structure is actually going to give you the freedom to be more successful. I'm so glad I asked the question because, mm -hmm. I, I, oh yeah, I mean, I still agree with you and it drives me crazy when these, um, when these companies feel like they wanna do the Wild West thing because one of my perspectives is, Imagine what it's like from the prospect side of the table or the customer side of the table to have multiple people reaching out to them and they're thinking to themselves, don't you people talk to each other? Like, right. Don't you that, know what's going on in yes, your company? Absolutely. And the, the other thing that you can see with them, and this, this goes back to our earlier conversation around hiring and having the right people in the right roles is if you, let's say, for example, you have someone leave an organization and you have temporarily asked someone else to take their territory. So now you have a sales professional who has maybe 
doubled or tripled their territory that they're responsible for. You as a leader have a responsibility to take care of them and to backfill that role or redefine the structure of the territory so that sales professionals can be successful. Um, because if you don't do that, it starts to create resentment in the team because they're covering way more than what they could ever possibly be successful with. And as a leader in the organization, you're hamstringing your own growth by doing that. Right, right. It's, it's so interesting. It's, that always amazes me that, that so many organizations really can't see past that. But, um, but then I think, okay, well, there are tools that can help with that sort of thing, like a good CRM system that, mm-hmm. is, you know, is salesperson friendly, I guess. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. And now a word from our sponsor. Somebody isn't showing up when they're supposed to? Talk to Bambi. Unsure how to deal with remote workers changing locations? Talk to Bambi. Getting complaints from employees about each other? You know what? You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, you get access to your own dedicated HR manager. These HR managers are all U.S.-based and are dedicated to your business. So you have consistent access to the HR expertise and personal touch you need. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices, like setting policies, training, and feedback. Bambi helps small business owners protect their business and gain HR peace of mind. HR issues are more complex than ever. Let Bambi help you with yours and with those employment nuisances across all 50 states. HR managers can easily cost 80 grand a year, but Bambi starts at only $99 a month. So what are you waiting for? Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com slash A-Y-B-G right now. Spelled B-A-M, B-E-E, dot com slash A-Y-B-G. 
Bambi.com slash A-Y-B-G. What, what are your thoughts about, you know, what are some of the processes and tools that you recommend? Yeah. So, so when I think about the structures, the, the structures and the processes and tools, so there, there's a couple that are non-negotiable in my opinion. Um, the first is you want to have a solid sales process that you commit to following and that covers, you know, 80% of your opportunities. You're always going to have some outliers, but you need to be able to cover the 80%. And that comes, that also begs the question, are you working with the right customers? Do you have the, the right setup, which is a, a different conversation, but you want to have the, have a process in place that everybody uses consistently and that your sellers buy into and use that coupled with sales methodology. And if I, just to kind of give you a visual, I think of sales process as a staircase. It, it's a pretty linear set of steps that you'll follow for 80% of your, um, your opportunities. You might go back and forth in your process. You might repeat a few steps in the process, but it's pretty linear. Your methodology is a, are the strategies and the tools and the skills that are available to you that you pick and choose from to help you move the process along. So it's not necessarily something that you follow a step-by-step -step path. So I always encourage organizations to have process and to have methodology. And you hit the nail on the head with the last one, which is part of your foundational structures is CRM. Um, it doesn't matter if you're a small organization or you are you know, a multi-billion dollar organization, you want to have a CRM that, that fits your needs, but also gives you a little bit of room to grow because you need the discipline of being able to have your, be able to manage your business and manage your pipeline. And to your earlier point, manage your territory as well. And a CRM can, can help you do that. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. So let's talk a little bit about pipeline and sales forecasting. Yeah. Best practices, what, what have you seen that you think, you know, uh, companies could be adopting? Yeah, so um, great question. And a recent piece of research that I just came across from Gartner was that 72% um, of chief sales officers that they have surveyed have pipeline improvement as their top priority. So our chief sales officers want to improve their pipeline. So whoever is watching or listening to this episode, if you are a sales professional, I'm going to lay money that your sales officers are looking to improve pipeline. If you're a CEO, you probably are looking to improve your pipeline. You're probably one of those 72%. Um, so in terms of best practices, I'll give you maybe two or three. Sure. Um, my, I am a big believer in a brutally honest pipeline. I have been in sales roles and I have witnessed organizations that say, we want your pipeline to be 3X of your quota. What the unintended behavior of that is that when you are asked to fill your pipeline to 2X or 3X or even more, you are going to fill it with opportunities that truly aren't valid. That's just the honest truth, brutal truth about that. So what you want is a best practice is clean data in your CRM and just brutal, honest truth about what is very viable today 
you might have opportunities in your pipeline where you have a multi-year sales cycle. That's fine, as long as it's valid and as long as it's a real opportunity. So that's a best practice that any professional or leader can and should adopt and, and encourage in their organizations, because that's also a part of your sales culture too. It's, it's, it's how you, you operate as a sales organization. So the, the other piece to that, and this ties into forecasting, is to have your sales process tied into your CRM. So if you use an, or, use a, use an agency or whoever, or if you do it in-house to customize your CRM, you want your sales process embedded into your CRM so that you can use the language of your sales process and you can use the gates of your sales process to help you forecast. So um, clean data, using your process and um, using the reporting features that are available to you in your CRM. Every sales professional should know their data and should be able to report their data to you and understand the story behind their data. So I would say that those are three best practices for, for really good CRM and just, just data discipline. Yeah, I love that. <clears throat> that is really great because then it's, um, you're looking at reality, right? You're yeah. looking at this is really where we are and everyone's speaking the same language. Oh yeah, I remember at the very beginning of the pandemic, Diane, I went through this exercise myself and you know, it's kind of a painful exercise when you have, you know, I think I had, you know, three quarters of my business fallout over, you know, a one or two month time frame. And yeah. I had to, you know, I had to do this exercise myself where I went into my CRM and I had to assess every opportunity and be brutally honest about where it was. And as much as that's painful, once you confront the honest truth about it, it's like, okay, here's where I am. It becomes more of a data exercise. And now here's where I am today. And now here's where I, here's how I could start to figure out where I need to be in the future and to start replacing those opportunities. So, uh, so I've done it myself and it can be painful at times, but it's a really great discipline exercise. And I feel like it just, you know, this might be a sound a little woo woo, but I think it also, it's, it's like a mental reset. You're wiping the slate clean of old opportunities. And it's, it's like a kickstart your brain into opportunity creation mode. Sure. I totally see that. And, and because then you can forecast once again, realistically, right. That, that everything else is, is, I mean, for me, a waste of time because it's not getting you where you need to be. Yes, um, you raise a really great, that last point is spot on because, you know, sales professionals work a lot of hours. Sales leaders work a lot of hours. Um, if you're looking at your, your data very realistically and let's say, so one other best practice, kind of a bonus best practice is to look at your win-loss ratio and look at, look at where you've won, look at where you've lost and do a little bit of a debrief on each of those wins and losses. You can just look at maybe the last six months to a year, but I bet that what you'll find is where you had real time sucks and where you spent a lot, a lot of hours on something that did not come through. So again, just, just using your data to your advantage and what's it, what's it telling you about where you're investing your time? Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah. It's one of the things I love about the, this whole process, this whole conversation, because um, it, it really comes down to everyone doing the, you know, spending their time and doing the things that get the greatest result. Because it, for me, it's always been, you're going to spend the time either way, but do you want to spend it just being active or do you want to spend it being productive? Oh my gosh. Right. Um, you know, I, I talk about in the modern seller, one, one of the capabilities of the modern seller is the ability to be holistic. And one of the lenses of being holistic is to look at yourself as the professional or the leader in the context of your role. And every day we are gifted with a finite amount of time, energy, motivation, and resources. And the way in which we invest those resources on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, that's really what's going to determine our results. And the choices that we make um, with those resources, you may not feel it today, but you will feel it either for the positive or the negative a month from now or a quarter from now. Exactly. Right. Right. Okay. So the, the last center of excellence is clients. And I want to make sure we at least you know, touch on this because you said something before that so resonated with me about looking at, you know, wins and losses and really investigating, you know, do, doing that discovery around, okay, what was it about them? Um, so how, what can organizations do to make sure that they are attracting, first of all, the right accounts and then also retaining them? Yeah, so, uh, so another interesting piece of data, I believe this was from McKinsey, but uh, looking at where revenues are coming from, from many organizations. And this is, a, again, a great exercise to do when you look at your own territory or book of business. Typically about 70% of revenues are coming from run rate existing clients. Whether you're discontinuing at that continuing on a flat trajectory or you're, you're growing from an existing client. And about 30% of an organization's business will often come from net new logos being added to your client roster. Um, now, if anybody is like me, I love adding net new clients to my client roster. It's like, it's, it's fun. It's like a shot of dopamine to add a new client to your client roster. <laughs> but, uh, but also looking at who are our really great clients that we're already doing business with today? And what is what new different ideas, products, solutions could I potentially be talking about them with? That right there, Diane, I believe is such a gold mine. And it's a gold mine for the client too, not just for not just for the, the seller, because clients don't want to continually go out to the marketplace to have to evaluate solution providers. They want to work with people that they already trust. They want to speed up their decision processes. So why not have it be you if you have what, what they need? Um, but I'm, I'm a big believer in really looking to grow your existing clients and also making sure that you're paying attention to what new clients you could be adding. I'll, I'm going to give you a really quick story. Um, there's an exercise that I do with clients. It's called a lifetime value inventory. And uh, actually, uh, I, just a real quick 
uh, while I'm thinking about it. If anybody's interested in this, it's out on my website. You can just go to amyfranco.com and it is under the resources tab. So this, this is something available to you, but it's called the lifetime value inventory. And I took a client through this exercise and there are 10 criteria to be thinking about when it comes to lifetime value. And it ranges from, you know, financial figures, revenue and profit to uh, the ease of doing business together to referenceability. Would they introduce you to, to new potential clients? And so I took a client through this and there was a woman uh, in the room who went through this. And what she realized was she had brought a client, prospective client to the program to work with. And after going through this exercise, she realized how much more potential opportunity there was with this prospective client than she actually thought to begin with. So with that aha moment, she made the decision to invest more time with this prospective client and really put a strategy in place through for herself and with her organization with this prospective client. And it turned into a multi-million dollar opportunity. Wow. Had she not thought strategically about that client, she might have not pursued it. And maybe that client would have gone with another organization. So, so it certainly pays to be thoughtful and strategic about your client selection. That that's thank you for sharing that story. It's so great. And it I and I'm so glad that we're talking about that because I think in all sorts of organizations, salespeople have been trained to be hunters, which is great. Yeah, it sure is. Forget about the nurturing part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I also like to think of, think about your current client roster. Mm -hmm. If you were to put on the lens of these are prospective clients and not just current clients, Mm -hmm. how might you potentially nurture the relationship a little bit differently? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes we fall, fall to the law of familiarity or a little bit of a, a little bit of complacency. I think, you know, I know I've been guilty of it. Um, but if we we look at that lens of, you know, they're a prospective client too, that can change the way that we think about it. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. And we have to remember that if we're not continuing to have those conversations with our client, our competition is. Right. So, Nailed right. it. Yeah. 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 So it's a big deal. We, we really need to be um, caring about them as more than a transaction. I think that's a really nice way to put it. There's a, you know, there's of course the the business side of things and, and monetizing opportunities, but you know, in the end, we're 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 doing business with other people, and if we genuinely care about their success and we genuinely care about what's in their best interest and right. doing right by them, they they pick up on that and and they they know that, and that's just a just just. That's just a good human thing to do. Right, right. Which, technically speaking, then does serve our bottom line. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right, right. Come back around. Yeah. Yep, that's exactly right. Um, yeah. There was an interesting story, just real briefly. It was about it was about Southwest Airlines, and this this story is probably a, a, a decade old, but um, I, I believe that they're they still follow a similar model. Whereas most organizations, especially publicly traded organizations, put their shareholders' interests first. Um, I just read this interesting story about Southwest where they 
kind of reverse the, they, they reverse engineered their thoughts around this. So, so their thought is, if we take care of our employees really well, and we put them at the top, in turn, the employees are going to take care of our passengers who are our customers. And the combination of those two things, happy customers mean more business, that we will ultimately take care of our shareholders. So they, they reverse engineered their thought process. And, and your comments about that just, just jogged that thought. Do we need to really think about our process of who we're putting first, second, and third? And to put a, to put a bow on sales enablement, I think that's a really uh, great position for sales enablement to be in. Because if you're taking care of your sales teams and your sales professionals, they in turn will take great care of your customers and grow your customers, which will benefit your bottom line. Exactly. And they are stakeholders, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. In, in a manner of speaking. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Amy, I so love this conversation and it, it's timely and it's important. And it, there, you know, it, is so much more for people to know. So will you let the listeners know how they can find you and the modern seller and anything else that yes. going on? Absolutely. So, so first and foremost, please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. If you do, please let me know in your invitation that you heard me on Diane's podcast, and I would absolutely love to connect there. And then secondly, you're welcome to go out to amyfranco.com. Lots of free resources out there. And you can also uh, connect with me if you'd like to have a future conversation. Excellent. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. Listeners, thank you. You are who we're doing this for. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcast.com. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzoir, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian jiu-jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.